I have more of my voice back, but uh, still trying to preserve it for a big weekend in systematics. So for those of you who are interested. Hey, um, if you don't know it, uh, we're doing a little five-part series on the issue of assurance um, on these, these five Wednesday nights. Um, so that's what you've walked into, and hopefully <clears throat> it'll be profitable for, for you um, as we address this subject. Um, maybe you've never heard of the name of Fanny Crosby. Um, Fanny Crosby uh, has probably contributed more to our hymnology than just about anybody. Um, maybe that's a little overstated, but, but one of the songs that she wrote is one that you love and uh, that many of us love. Um, and um, it, it goes like this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Um, it is, isn't it? Um, blessed assurance. Uh, that, that assurance is a foretaste of glory divine, uh, is it not? It's the thing that, that our soul um, so needs so that there can be that foretaste, that foretaste of glory divine. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to start tonight by, um, you don't have to run down these texts with me. They're just three quick ones and, I, and I'm going to kind of fly through them. If you want to take them down and trust me that I'm not going to read them to you incorrectly, um, let me um, let me just point out three quick statements. The first one made in Colossians chapter two, verse two, where Paul says this: says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. I draw your attention to that 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 comment about the full assurance of understanding. Here's the second one. It's in um, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, where the author of Hebrews says, and we desire that each of you should know the same diligence, to the full assurance of hope until the end. Same phrase, they're same two words. And then later in that same book, in um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, we get this statement. Um, the author says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So in all three of those statements, you get those two words, full assurance of hope, full assurance of faith, full assurance of understanding, which I think you would agree um, implies that there, uh, that there is a, um, that there is an assurance that is not full. Oh, it's an assurance, but it's not a full assurance. In fact, in another place in uh, first Thessalonians one, Paul talks about uh, having left Thessalonica uh, with people having much assurance. Much assurance, not full assurance, but much assurance. And I think um, we in this room can, um, (laughs) we can attest to the fact of having very little assurance and in some cases none. I said last week that one of my motives in doing this was that I felt like so many of God's people, and I, and I used this figure of 85% um, of, of God's people struggle with this whole issue of assurance. And, and, and one dear brother said to me, you're wrong, Jimmy. It's not 85%. It's 99%. <laughs> so um, all, I'm, all I'm suggesting is that Paul, on, a, on one occasion, and the author of Hebrews on a couple of occasions, points to a condition of full, full assurance. 
um, suggesting that there is, that many Christians are in possession of something that is perhaps assurance, but not full assurance. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight what I want to do is, um, is address this question. How is that gotten? How is it uh, advanced? How is it preserved? How is it maintained? How is it increased? How do I arrive and nourish this thing um, that I long for? <clears throat> this thing called or known as assurance. So I have six reasons for you, or six ways, six things uh, that I want you to keep in mind that are designed to address this whole thing about how do, how is this assurance thing gotten? How is it advanced? How is it increased? How is it preserved? How is it maintained? Six things. <clears throat> now, the first one that we're going to talk about in just a second, I'm going to spend most of our time on. The other five, we're going to somewhat fly through, but not the first one. The first one I would suggest to you is the major way to, um, that assurance is gotten. Okay? Now, <clears throat> number one, how is assurance gotten? Number one, it is gotten by a right understanding of the Christian gospel. Now, having said that, let me expand and tease it out some and, and hopefully you'll see um, what I mean and why it is so important. Um, I wanna begin, or not begin, but let's just kind of proceed by, um, with a theological exam, okay? A theological quiz. You're not going to have to blurt anything out. You're not going to have to write anything down. But I'm going to give you a sentence and I'm going to leave the last word out. And I want you to come up with the word. This is a quote. A quote that I'm going to uh, tell you about and just tell you more about in a minute. But um, here is the quote. Okay? The greatest of all Protestant heresies is the greatest of all Protestant... Her- and by the way, you realize you're a Protestant, do you not? Um, that's us. Um, what is the greatest heresy of Protestantism? Now, before I answer that, I want to give you just a little... Um, um, Oh, this is so nice to have this board here. Oh, there's, a, there's something. Um, just a brief little church history lesson, okay? Um, um, yeah. uh, <clears throat> gang, uh, the Protestant Reformation began really about 1519, uh, 1519, you know, when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the church door of Wittenberg. Everybody know that? That's when the Protestant cleavage between Rome and Protestantism began when he did that thing in, uh, you know, the diet, I mean, or uh, at uh, Wittenberg, and then, um, and then later on, the Diet of Worms. Remember that? Okay, that's 1519. By 1550, um, 
Um, the Protestant Reformation had, had spread so far and had taken hold so deeply that the Roman Catholic hierarchy was really scared. So they launched what has come to be known in, the, in, in church history as the Counter-Reformation. It was Rome's effort to try and address what Martin Luther had done back here. You have the Reformation, and then you have the Counter-Reformation. We have a Reformation that's going to counter the Reformation. And thus, the Counter-Reformation. <clears throat> Probably the foremost leader of the of the Counter-Reformation was a guy by the name of Bellarmine. Robert Bellarmine. Cardinal Robert Bellarmine. Now, folks, you may have never heard of him, but um, when it came down to fighting the Protestant Reformation, oh, he's a big dude. He was... um, he was, uh, some, he was probably the foremost thinker uh, in all of Rome. He was um, the Pope's personal theologian. And um, <clears throat> a moment ago, when I gave you that quiz about the greatest Protestant heresy there is, is it's, it's this guy that I'm quoting. Cardinal Bellarmine. Now, um, now, with that in mind, folks, um, let me ask the question again. Quoting Cardinal Robert Bellarmine. The greatest of all Protestant heresies is, well, you might think, well, um, well one of the big things, of course, was uh, justification by faith alone. Uh-huh. Uh, the doctrine of, uh, you know, Faith alone, sola fides. Yeah, that's that's the big heresy, uh, according to Bellarmine. Or perhaps sola scriptura, scripture alone. You know, um, over here in Rome, we have three sources of authority. But you Protestants, you only have one, that Bible. It's a great heresy. Great heresy, that... Scripture alone stuff and that faith alone stuff. Um, Those are heresies. But when Bellarmine identified the chief heresy in all of Protestantism, what he identified was assurance. (laughs) Of all of the error that exists among us Protestants, the worst error is this thing that I'm trying to teach you. Assurance. The thing that Fanny Crosby said is blessed. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory did find. That's heresy. According to Cardinal Bellarmine. Now guys, <clears throat> it doesn't take Five minutes worth of 
reflection to understand why he would say this. Understand why he was such an opponent of, of, um, of assurance. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, if justification is not by faith alone uh, or by Christ alone or by grace alone, if faith needs to be completed by some kind of contribution that I make, some kind of work, if Christ's work on the cross is somehow inadequate and grace is not free and sovereign, then something is always going to have to be added. And consequently, assurance is an impossibility because we will never know whether we've ever done enough. Somebody come to me on Sunday morning and she has a friend who struggles with assurance and, and um, she wanted me to get last week's up on the um, website and that's why I sent out that thing on GOL because I had several people say, where is it? I need to, anyway, we got it up. But um, this woman said to this lady talking to me, she said, you know, you'll never know whether you've done enough. So assurance is, is never going to be possible. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you, I started with three texts talking about full assurance. And Rome says, the greatest heresy among us as Protestants is our insistence on the, the possibility and the advisability of having full assurance. <clears throat> to me, it's rather arresting that someone would say the greatest of all Protestant heresies is assurance. Greater than faith alone, greater than Christ alone, greater than scripture alone is, here, is, is, is assurance. Because do you, do you see why, ladies and gentlemen, he was so opposed to it? Do you, do you get it? Because you see, folks, his understanding of the gospel is that you must do something to contribute to its overall completion. Now, guys, I said I have six things for you tonight. And I said that the first thing, the first way by which assurance might be gotten is through a right understanding of the gospel. Folks, if you, if you alter the gospel somehow to, to make it less than faith alone, or no, let's just say something other than faith alone, or Christ alone, or by grace alone, then the suggestion is you've got to always be adding something to it. And because you've always got to be adding something to it, 
you'll never know that your soul is safe. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, here's where your, your antipathy for doctrine will bite you. Well, I don't want to get involved in all that doctrinal talk. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know. Well, and ladies and gentlemen, suffer thereby. Um, this is where a clear grasp of the beauty of the gospel will serve you well, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you see, gang, um, I can understand why Bellarmine says that assurance is the big problem. Indeed, it is a, the big problem. It is, it is somewhat of a, a, a critical point between Rome and Protestantism. Because if justification is dependent on something that we have to complete... Did you get that? If justification is dependent upon something we have to complete, then assurance is an impossibility. That would mean that that justification is contingent. It's contingent on, contingent on what I um, uh, contribute. It's contingent upon my actions. And it, it, it not, because it's contingent, it is uncertain. How can I ever know if I've ever done enough according to Rome's gospel? So, ladies and gentlemen, the first thing that will contribute to full assurance is a firm hold on the beauty of the Christian gospel. That it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Um, in in Bellarmine's view, it's only somebody uh, you know who is really noted for his holy living and and has received uh, uh, some kind of special personal revelation. You know, somebody, some saint like Thomas Aquinas or something. Maybe he, you know, can have, uh, can experience assurance. But ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ is, has done it all. I mean, we sing this song around here, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus paid it all. If Jesus paid it all. If justification is by grace and without any contribution on my part, if it is received by the empty hand of faith, then assurance, even full assurance, is possible to every believer. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a Protestant view of this kind of same thing because we are so stuck and hung up on our own performance. Um, We were trained in in worlds that had us measuring, you know, uh, how well we were doing by some kind of church standard. 
and we compared ourselves with ourselves and I'm better than him but I'm less than him and it's um it is a terrible vice grips to get yourself into, ladies and gentlemen. The first way by which full assurance is gotten is by a crystal clear understanding of the gospel that grace is free and sovereign, that, that Christ's work is a finished work, and that it is appropriated by faith alone without any contribution on my part. So I can stop all of this, this pathological examination of my performance. Guys, it is, it is the understanding of the gospel, the understanding of the efficacy of Christ's blood that becomes the antidote to all of the poison of voices that echo in my conscience, condemning me for all of my many failures. And you got a bunch of them, don't you? Yeah, we do. It's Christ, it's the efficacy of Christ's work that chokes all of those fears into silence. Knowing of the efficacy of Christ's finished work, that, ladies and gentlemen, is how assurance is gotten. Gang, full assurance is rooted in the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord, that God has accomplished all that was necessary for us in Christ. It is in Christ that God has revealed his heart of love for us. Gang, get this. You've got to get this. I know it's doctrine. And ladies and gentlemen, all of life is doctrine. All of life is based on your belief system. And our belief systems are so whacked up that we, that we live life in this dread and this fear that we don't have to live in. But listen, you've got to get this. The father did not require the death of Jesus Christ to produce love in him for us. Christ died because the father loved us. It wasn't this unwilling, grudging God saying, well, all right, if you'll go do that, then then, uh, I'll change my mind about those wicked rebels. No. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. The father loved his people and said the thing, the only thing that will procure them is the finished work of my son. And so he sends them. Ladies and gentlemen, the only ground of God's love is God's love, not your performance. God's love is not contingent upon what you produce. 
the only ground, the only explanation, the only fountain of love, of the love of God is the love of God. Yes. Yes, your sins are great. Yeah, they are. They're, um, they're far worse than we want anybody else in this room to know. But ladies and gentlemen, grace is greater. And once I understand that grace is free and sovereign, then, then I can enjoy a sense of safety, knowing that my that my soul is um, is safe because Christ did His work so well, not because I did mine. I want, I want to read you one other. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, listen to this. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Christ, that is. By one offering, by one finished work, has um, perfected forever. That work, ladies and gentlemen, is of such glory that all of my sin is swallowed up inside it. Yeah, that one, even that one. My friends, um, I should say this more than I do, but um, so many of God's people are in trouble when it comes to assurance because they've never thought. And they resist thinking. I don't want to talk about doctrine. No, 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 no. It's divisive. It may be, folks. But, you know, two plus two is four. I guess truth split us over the, those who say it's four and those who say it's 4.3. But truth is the thing, ladies and gentlemen, that will set you free. And the, and the way that you work on this assurance thing is not to address it directly. You address it by a right understanding of the gospel. Okay? I've got five more. And I've got 12 minutes. Um, but I told you that was the one that was going to take the most time, and we're going to go through these rather quickly. Um, here's the second way by which assurance is gotten. Obedience. Guys, 
No man merits assurance. Please don't hear me say that. Nobody merits assurance. But God normally crowns obedience with assurance. This is a a verse I read last week. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Guys, a life of obedience is a life lived according to design. And a life that's lived according to design is the life that works. When I live it in disobedience, it's like using my wristwatch as a hammer. My wristwatch is a nice wristwatch, but it makes a crummy hammer. Because it was not designed to be used that way. When I live in obedience, I'm living according to design. And God says, I'll not withhold anything, any good thing from those who walk uprightly. You remember, I said to you back on December the 7th in my sermon on Sunday morning, I said, there's no such thing as an authentic believer who does not obey. So if you're living in disobedience, do not be surprised that if you're, that you're struggling with, um, with assurance, because I know I'm not supposed to be living like that. God's people don't live like that. My porn problem, my, my addiction to prescription drugs, um, my affair, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be living like that. And, oh, I'm struggling with assurance. Yes, you will. Because the second thing by which way that assurance is gotten is through obedience. It's not earned, but God graciously normally crowns obedience with assurance. Thirdly, the third way by which assurance is gotten. Ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, you pay me a lot of money to, to, um, to teach you the Bible. And I, I delight in teaching it and delight that you pay me to teach it. Um, but guys, my 35-minute little ditty on Sunday mornings ain't going to be enough. Here's, here's the point that I'm making. Number three is you must pay attention to the promises of God through his word. Um, there is no assurance that is reliable apart from these promises that are contained in this book. So you need to hear these promises far more frequently than I can give them to you once a week. Here's a promise. <clears throat> Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. There's all kinds of promises like that in this book, ladies and gentlemen. And as a student of this word, you need to pay attention to the promises. Um, Here's the the fourth thing that I would mention to you as a way by which assurance is gotten. Grow. Grow. 
This is a statement in, in second Peter, found in second Peter one. I'm just going to read you three or four, three verses, four verses. Um, but understand that Peter is addressing this life, not the, not the heavenly one. He's talking about now. And he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Listen. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be an adding to my soul as I move forward. I'm adding this and I'm adding this and I'm, I'm getting more of that and 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 more of that. I'm growing. Peter says, be giving all diligence to, to get about this thing called growth. And, um, and, and the promise is, you will, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there needs to be, folks, on your parts, um, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> you need to be able to look back and say, I'm a different man. I'm a different woman than I was five years ago. Something quantifiable. I mean, not a perfection, but I find that my soul has got a trajectory that is moving me towards more and more holy living. There needs to be growth. Fifthly, you know, guys, and this is a piece of good counsel that... Um, that I hope you'll take. Um, never come to any conclusions about your soul when you're, in the, when you're in a valley. It's hard to see off into the distance when you're down here. What, what I'm saying is, when, when, there are, when there's a real difficulty and trial in your life, that's not the time to be making conclusions or drawing conclusions about whether I'm real or not. Um, don't, don't gauge or measure the health of your soul while you're down here. You'll get out of there. <laughs> Some of you ask, when? I don't know. You probably last a whole lot longer than you want and a whole lot longer than you think. But when you get out, you'll be able to make some sane and healthy assessments about where your soul is. Don't try to do that from down there. Um, and then here's the sixth, I think. Yeah. Um, I want to continue to read in that passage out of Second Peter 1. I just read you where he says, add this to this, add this to this, add this to this, add this to this. The text goes on. Therefore, brethren, um, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, 
the New Testament invites us guys to examine um, to examine thir- certain things that accompany salvation. Now you, you got to be careful in this because I'm not asking. I mean, it's not asking you to examine selfishness. You know, at any given moment, we're all just selfish, self-centered slobs, aren't we? So it's it, it, the the invitation to examine is not to examine those things, but to examine those things that accompany, that we know that accompany a, 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 a person that has been born of the Spirit. Things like repentance. Exactly how grieved does your sin make you? Faith. Examine it. What is it in? Is it um, is it a faith in in the fact that you gave more money this year than you gave last year? Mm. No. Is your confidence in God and His Word something that you see? Examine, examine love of the brethren. <clears throat> you know, guys, um, I say this, I guess, with a measure of great satisfaction and maybe godless pride. But Gracie Van doesn't do everything well. Um, I guarantee you we don't do everything well. In fact, I'm very concerned about a couple of things that we don't do well. But one of the things that I think really exists here is that I think generally speaking we like each other. Just the love of the brethren. That's, a, that's something that you need to examine. Um, and of course obedience. Just how important is obeying Jesus Christ in all of his statutes and testimonies. Those things. Um, examine those things. It is a means by which assurance is gotten. So here they are. A, a right understanding of the gospel, obedience, pay attention to the promises, grow, don't ever gauge your soul in the midst of a valley, and then examine those things that are that accompany salvation. You know, I hope you understand the distinction. We, we, we examine those things that are, that are always found in those that are genuinely converted. Those are six ways <coughs> by which assurance is gained and preserved and maintained and advanced and gotten. Let's quit. Heavenly Father, um, would you, would you assist your people as they um, wrestle with their own sense of comfort, their own sense of safety, their own sense of um, health? Oh God, might it be true that though so many struggle, that when we're done here, might we find so many among us
with this thing called full assurance. Oh, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Indeed, oh God, that is a foretaste of glory divine. We, um, we pray that your word will be that which will be the meat and the drink of our soul, and it'll make us healthier and healthier. And we ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.